Well, what a joy and a privilege it is to be able to stand before you today, as with any Lord's Day, but to be able to break the bread of life with you, beloved, I I count it a blessing. Well, take your Bible that I pray you have brought with you this morning. And turn with me to the book of Genesis, chapter 1. Genesis, chapter 1, beginning with verse 26. Genesis, chapter 1, beginning with verse 26. We will be in a couple of places in the Scriptures today, but we're going to spend the first part of our time here. Today I will be preaching on the sanctity of life. It is um, something that reoccurs each and every uh, year as far as for an emphasis on Sunday, usually in January. Actually, calendar-wise, it falls next Sunday, but um, Brother Brian's going to be beginning his series on Luke, which I would encourage you to grab one of the Luke uh, Scripture journals, as they are uh, very beneficial. But we did feel it important to take a Sunday and focus upon this, um, this dire issue that is so important to our um, way of life today, ultimately, but especially to the church. We're going to take a look at what the Scriptures have to say to us regarding the issue. As Christians, we are to develop and possess a biblical worldview. This is a... Two words that I hope you not only hear me say, but Brother Brian, I hope you get tired of us saying that because I hope you eventually adopt those two words as part of your normal vocabulary. Um, This is found, by the way, in one of our core values as a church. Within the core value of determined discipleship, it says this. It says, Christianity is not merely a religion, but a worldview. Therefore, we are to think and act biblically concerning every aspect of our lives. Now, what does that mean? Well, quite simply, that it means that the Scriptures govern us as believers. God's Word is our authority on how we are to live our lives. How we define creation and humanity is determined by the Scripture. How we define marriage and family is determined by the Scripture. How we raise our family and what we teach our children is determined by the Scripture. How government is to carry out its task is determined by the Scripture. What the church is and how she is to function is determined by the Scriptures. How we are to define truth is determined by the Scriptures. Do you see, beloved? Every aspect of life. And you thought we were just going to talk about abortion today. I want us to read together Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 through 28. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 through 28 says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. 
So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. We live in a unique place. And and I'm not just talking about the United States of America. I'm talking about this world. There is not occurring on any other planet the things that occur here. And by that I mean there is not another place that sustains life. On the whole, there's no other place in the universe or universes where there exists life. Beloved, understand today, we are unique. And beyond that, when we think about life itself, we have basically two kinds. We have the creation itself of living plants and organisms, but then we move beyond animal life and we get more specific in terms of humanity. When we come to the Scriptures, we see immediately that in God's Word, He says human beings are unique. And they are not only unique, they are above and beyond every other form of life that has been created. But the question to be asked is why? Or what makes humanity unique? What what is it that makes us precious? What is it that gives us value over and above all other living things to such the extent that God not just suggests to us, but He commands that we do not take human life? Not only do we not take life, but we are to preserve it. We are to protect it. And once this reason for this value is discovered, what does that mean for us today? How does that impact the way that we live? Well, in Genesis chapter 1, back with verse 26, God is in the act of creation on the sixth day. And He says... Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And if you jump on over to verse 27, you see the text says, God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Isn't that interesting? If you were to go back and read chapter 1 in its entirety, you would discover that God is creating. He is speaking things into existence. From nothing, by the way. And we also know that the Trinity is involved. In the whole of creation, Colossians tells us that it is God who speaks things into into existence, but it is Christ Himself and the Holy Spirit that bring these things about. So the Trinity is at work in this act of creating. And they go about creating all of these different things in terms of our universe, in terms of the planets, in terms of the earth, sun, light, all of these things, all of the living things as well that we talked about. But when we get to verse 26, we see a deviation from everything else that has been done. God says, let us make man in our image. God made us like Him. 
He made us with characteristics and qualities and attributes that are like Him. This in and of itself, beloved, separates us from every other living thing, from animal, from plant. All other things are just simply made by God, but we as human beings, beloved, are made in His image. Amen? Okay, make sure you're with me. Beloved, when we, when we recognize that, that alone ought to, to fuel our worship. That alone should be enough for us. The simple fact that we have been created by Him, and not just created by Him, but created in His image, that commands worship from us. Praise God. God created us. Now, we take a step further and we look at the rest of verse 26. In verse 26, God says, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, and all the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And he goes on to say that not only did he make man in his image, but it says male and female he created them. And that God blessed them and God said, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over all of these things. So let's boil this down in terms of what God has done for us. First, God has made us like Him. He has made us in His image to set us apart and and make us unique over and above all other things. Second, God says, not only I have made you like me, I want you to be like me. In, In short, I want you to rule and make stuff. This is what I want you to do. I want you to rule over my creation and make stuff. Think of that for just a moment. The God who is the creator of everything out of all of the universe, and by the way, by being the creator, that makes Him the ruler, that makes Him king. He is ruling and reigning over all things, and He turns to His specific creation who He has made in His image, and He says, Be like me. I want you to take dominion over this creation. I want you to rule over it. I want you to tend after it. I want you to live in it. And thirdly, he says, but I'm also going to make you in specific ways. Verse 27 says, He made them male and female. So now we see that God says, though I made you like me, I did not make you just like me. As as the children's catechism says, God is a spirit and does not have a body like us. He is not a man. He is not a woman. God is spirit. So when He creates, He creates us equally, but He creates us with gender distinctions, and along with that are roles and functions. Some will be male, some female, but rather, but also your purpose, both male and female, is to take dominion, to be fruitful, and to multiply. In other words, go forth, rule over my creation, and make stuff. 
in layman's terms, go forth, get married, and have babies. That's what He tells us to do. That's what be fruitful and multiply means. This is how Genesis 1 ends, and it's restated again in Genesis chapter 2. And if you're just unsure, God mentions this at least two other places in Genesis, if not more, and we see it revisited time and time again throughout the Scriptures. He commands Noah after the flood to go out into the creation to be fruitful and multiply. Right after the the incident at the Tower of Babel where God confuses their language, it's mentioned again. Why? Because all were gathered in one place, speaking the same language, thinking the same thoughts, acting in the same manner. And God says, no, that's not what I want you to do. So Abraham comes on the scene and God commands him to go out into the land, be fruitful and multiply. This is what we have been commanded to do as God's creation. Rule over everything, make stuff, be fruitful, and multiply. Now you may hear that today, and you may be saying, well, Trey, that's all well and good. But I I hate to inform you that it does not work that way today. I understand rule and take dominion, but Trey, if I'm in the woods and I come upon a herd of wild hogs... I don't think it wise to go up and pet them. I better have a gun. I understand fill the earth, Trey, but in the U.S. alone, there are great great swaths of land with no one. And Trey, there are sections of the country filled with so many people thinking the exact same way that it can actually affect the outcome of national elections. Trey, I understand male and female, but I'm told now there are multiple genders or even non-genders, so that there are places that will, there are hospitals that will not put the gender of a child on their birth certificate, but rather will wait and let the child decide later. Trey, I understand marriage, but now I'm told anyone can marry anyone or in some cases anything. True story, you can go see the guy that married his cat. I'm also told that two-parent homes are drastically in decline and marriage is no longer a priority or consideration among most couples. Trey, it's no longer rule and take dominion. It's no longer fill the earth. It's no longer male and female. It's no longer one man, one woman for life. And it's no longer making stuff. It's no longer making babies. The average household has only two children. Actually, the the current statistic is about 1.8, 1.9 per household. But it's not that we are just no longer making babies, we are killing them too. The current statistic, and this is not up to date as of 2020 and even 2021, 2022 in there, total number of abortions in the U.S. alone since 1973 is over 63 million. That doesn't come exactly out to these numbers, but you can, we can get close. That's 186 abortions, 200 abor- abortions per 1,000 live births. 
That's two hundred, or excuse me, that's two thousand three hundred and sixty-two plus abortions per day. That's ninety-eight plus abortions per hour. That's one abortion every thirty seconds. And by the way, those statistics include only surgical and medical abortions. That's not considering and taking into um, consideration the abortifacients. In other words, the drugs that induce or cause abortions. So what happened? Things are not the way they are supposed to be, are they, beloved? And why? And this is why a biblical worldview is so important. I could give you my thoughts and reasons all day, but at the end of the day, it's what the Bible says. Two places we see in the Scriptures that define this for us. First is Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve disobey God and eat of the fruit of the tree. The Word says that she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God. You know the story. Did you catch what happened and what they did? Their sin... Their disobedience to God, their sin, led them to hide. To hide. Remember when you were a child and you broke something that you were not supposed to be playing with? Some of us have forgotten what it was like to be children. What did you do with the thing that you broke that you weren't supposed to be playing with in the first place? You went and hid it. We hid it. And beloved, all of us knew the best places to hide things. And if that thing needed to be ourself, we knew where to hide that too. I knew if I was up to something, if I didn't come home till after my mom's bedtime, I had a better chance than coming home when she was awake. I could hide myself. Beloved, nothing has changed. We still hide things. Nothing has changed from the garden. We still hide our sin. That's number one. Problem two. Paul says second is in Romans 1. And if you would turn there, that would be the last place that we turn to today. Romans 1. Paul says this, verse 21. Paul says, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. 
Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Paul says, because we desire to disobey God, and by the way, that is to become a God yourself. Anytime we think we know better than God, we are seeking to de-God God, to take Him off of His throne and place ourselves up on the throne. Paul says, because we desire to obey God, to disobey God rather, to be gods ourselves, God has turned us over to this type of thinking and it has dire consequences. What is this? What are the consequences? We saw consequences of sin today in our Sunday school lesson with Abraham and Sarai, didn't we? What are the consequences? When we think we think we are wise, but we are fools. And we dishonor our bodies. We think we are wise, but we are fools. And we dishonor our bodies. You saw that today with Abram and Sarai, didn't you? But Paul continues. Listen to what the Word of God says. He says, For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God... God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. And just in case you haven't included yourself in that already, he says they are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil. Catch this one. Disobedient to parents. Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Does this sound familiar in our society today, beloved? Do you see the picture? We call what's right wrong and what's wrong right. We use our bodies in ways that were never intended. We are filled with all manner of unrighteousness, and though we know it's wrong to the point of deserving death, we not only approve the things, but we ourselves do them. Why? Because we hide. Hide what, Trey? We hide the truth. The truth. We hide the truth. What truth? The truth that humanity is precious and valuable. Why? Because we are image bearers of God. Genesis 1.26 we, Paul says we suppress it. Another word for suppressing is we hide it. We push it aside. We hide the truth. Well, what does that look like today? 
we hide the truth of ruling and dominion. So plants and animals are just as sacred now as human beings. And there's, there are areas of this country that we can't live in because of an endangered snail. Or pick your animal. Or thing or bacteria. We hide the truth of filling the earth. So we gather together in one place with people who think just like we do, convincing ourselves that whatever the majority says is right. That's socialism, by the way. We hide the truth of only two genders, male and female. So we seek to look alike even to the point of mutilation. And we seek to be with others who look just like me in ways that were never designed to be. And then we celebrate it by saying, I was made this way, or God help us, we say that God made me this way. We hide the truth that God is the life giver. That life begins at conception. So we say, that baby was a mistake. That baby was a mistake. I do not want it. It's my body. I'll do what I choose. It was a mistake. I don't want it. So we hide it. We kill it. Don't you see? Don't you see today, beloved? All of this de-godding of God and devaluing of life leads to one thing. Death. It's not just about abortion. It's about every facet of society that I have mentioned here today. It's about us. It's about our way of life. All this has led us to the very same result as Adam and Eve 6,000 years ago. Sin brings death. It breeds it. Listen to the words of John Piper describing what happens when we deny God's truth. He says, you might say, I henceforth decide for myself what is true and right and beautiful. However, that is what God does. God alone is the source of objective truth and right and beauty. But yet Satan says otherwise. He says, eat it. You will be like God. That's so very true and yet it's so very false. God is a flower of truth and right and beauty and He has no roots and needs no water, no sunshine, no soil. He is absolutely self-sufficient. Because we are made in the image of God, we need to understand that we are planted in God. We get all our water and light and nutrition from Him. Yes, we can cut our stem and we can try to be like Him. We can be our own source of life and light and truth and right and beauty. We can do this and we can die. So the result is this. If we as a society continue down this path, we kill life. It's it's simple logic. And it's simple logic. And you say, well, Trey, 
If it's such simple logic, then why as a society aren't we doing this? Well, Romans 1. Because when you take away rational thought with no absolute truth, then everything becomes relevant. And that is exactly the world that we see before us today. Truth is in the eyes of the beholder. I decide what is truth. You decide what is your truth. Oh, Lord, help us. So, we asked earlier, what does this mean for us today? Beloved, we have to remember, this is God's world. Amen? Amen. This is God's world from beginning to end. He is the Creator. He is the Sustainer. The Word of God begins with this. In the beginning, God. He's in charge. He rules and He reigns over us. And beloved, according to Scripture, He alone has set in place three institutions by which society revolves in its proper order. I want you to take these away today. Understand and know that these three institutions come from God Himself. He has ordained them. He has created them to set society in its proper order. The family, the church, and the government. The family, the church, and the civil magistrate. The government. Unfortunately, what has happened is we have compromised each one to such the degree that some are beginning to crumble. Think about it for just a moment. If we continue down this path, when the family compromises from God's design, we see divorce. We see destroying the concept of biblical marriage. We see gender confusion. We see no marriage. It goes on and on and on. What happens, beloved, when the family, when the institution of the family begins to compromise and it begins to break down? There is no longer a structure for society, there is disorder. Do you see? What about the government? When the government compromises from its God-given role, legalizing abortion, same-sex unions, restriction of God-given freedoms, condoning immoral behavior, and all of the above that we just mentioned in the family, when the government compromises and begins to crumble, There is no longer stability for society and there is tyranny. What about the church? The church. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. The church... When the church compromises, when we refuse to practice a biblical worldview, 
when we adopt and constantly engage in pragmatism, bending to the world's ways, when we disapprove with the mouth the things above while allowing them to take place within the church, which is exactly what is happening in our Southern Baptist Convention today. There is no longer a source of truth. When the church compromises, there is no longer a source of truth and there is nothing less left but anarchy. Do you see? Do you see this today, beloved? So how does this impact the way we live? Because I don't want to leave you without hope. If I left you without hope today, I would not be fulfilling my duty. I hope, I hope that I've brought you to the very brink though. Because we've been living with our eyes shut for too long. And we've been compromising to the world bit by bit as Christians and as a church. We've allowed the world into the family and it's crumbling. We've allowed the world into the government and it's crumbling. And we're allowing the world into the church. So how does this impact us today? On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. We cling to the gospel, beloved. We cling to Christ. Oh, the very verses that we didn't read in Genesis chapter 3 is what God Himself provides us hope. Genesis 3.15, I want you to see that God brings salvation through the same woman who just produced death in us. God turns right around in in giving out judgment, in giving out curse, but He doesn't stop. Have you ever wondered that? Have you ever paused to consider that for just a moment? There should have been only judgment after the sin in the garden. There should have been only judgment and death, and yet God in His grace and in His mercy, instead, He facilitates life. How? By telling Satan, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. God says, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to fix this. Because I'm full of grace and I'm full of mercy. I'm full of love. I'm going to fix this. And thousands of years later, I'm going to send my one and only Son, my beloved Son, and He's going to come to this earth through a virgin, through the power of my Holy Spirit. And He's going to come as a babe. 
And He's going to live a perfect life. He's going to do what you and I cannot do. He's going to do what Adam could not do. And Paul's going to call him the second Adam. And he's going to come and live a righteous life here on this earth in complete and fulfill, uh, uh, perfect obedience to God the Father. He's going to glorify the Father in every way. And then He's going to do the unthinkable. He's going to step on an instrument of death. He's going to step on a cross and He's going to take upon Himself the death that you and I deserve. For all that would trust in Him as Lord and Savior, He's going to substitute Himself on that cross and take your death and give you His righteousness. So that when God looks upon you, You can sing, Rock of Ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in Thee. Not because of sin, but I'm hiding in Thee. Why? Because for sin, He was the double cure. He saved me from the wrath of God and He made me pure. We cling to Christ, beloved. Cling to the Gospel. There is no other deliverance. Secondly, how does this impact the way we live? Believers, we, church, we must stop compromising. Amen? We have got to stop compromising. The problem is not the world. The problem is you and the problem is me. We know what the world is going to do. The Scriptures tell us. The world is doing exactly what the world does apart from Christ and apart from God. They hide the truth and they act out on it. Believers, we must stop compromising. This is why as believers, we must hold to the complete sufficiency of the Scriptures that what God has said in His Word we will do and that there will be no compromising. Oh, beloved, today I call us all, myself included, I call us all to repentance of compromising the Word of God. This is the very thing that Jesus meant when He said, you must be willing to take up your cross if you're going to follow Me. That is what it means to take up your cross. Not a decision that we make as a child, not in simply baptism, but rather looking at the Word of God and what the Word of God says and standing on that truth of what the Word of God says regardless of what the world telling us tells us knowing that it's going to create friction between us and the world and somebody's going to have to give. And Jesus says, You take up your cross and you follow me. You don't give. You don't compromise. Beloved, your obedience to Christ is actually an indicator that you truly value life. Did you catch all of the issues that I mentioned today? This is not just about abortion. This is about the very fabric of our society, which, by the way, is life. Sin breeds death. Do you value life? 
Are you seeking to develop that biblical worldview that we spoke of earlier? That every aspect of your life is to be touched by the Word of God. Every, are you examining yourself, Christian? Are you examining yourself daily? Are you looking at the Word of God as looking at a mirror? Are you seeing the, the deficiencies and seeking to do what it says by the power of the Holy Spirit? Or are you seeking to do what James said not to do and walk away like you never saw anything? Lastly, how does this impact the way we live? For everyone here today, beloved, everyone in here today, there is forgiveness. Saved or unsaved, I want you to know there is forgiveness for you in Christ. Regardless of what you've done, regardless of what you've said, regardless of what you've thought. Maybe you've participated in one of these actions that we have mentioned. Maybe you've participated in compromising your faith as a believer. Maybe you're just looking for truth. Beloved, today there is forgiveness. The Bible is clear that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Did you hear that, beloved? To cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I would encourage you to come to Christ today. Come to Christ. Find your cleansing and begin walking in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and take up your cross and follow Him. Whatever it is, seek forgiveness before the Lord and repentance and make it right today and start living in obedience to God the Father. Come to Christ. Come to Christ. You are valued by Him. You are made in His image. And He loves you. Christianity is not merely a religion, but it's a worldview. Therefore, we are to think and act biblically concerning every aspect of our life. Every. Let's stand together and let's pray.